Hello, you are listening to Beyond the Briefcase, a law school podcast with Sarah and Meg. This week, we talk about mental health, our experiences before and during law school. Given the sensitive material we may share in this episode, we also want to preface this episode by saying that our experiences, views, and opinions um, expressed in this episode are ours alone and do not reflect those of our law school, as well as any of our past and future guests. So, Sarah, let's get started with um, our strategies that we brought to law school. What's what's your experience been? Yes, so I want to preface this with I have had mental struggles in the past. And so, of course, the strategies that I'm bringing in might be a bit more comprehensive or um, I might have a lot more strategies than some other people may need. So anyone listening, don't worry. I'm not in need of these strategies because I'm in law school specifically. It's because of my past experiences. So I haven't seen, luckily, any negative change, actually. It's been going very well for me so far. So for anyone who's worried that starting law school might aggravate any problems they have or might cause maybe some sort of relapse, for me, at least, that hasn't been the case. So... I'm hoping that that can give maybe some people a, a bit of hope when it comes to law school, because I know a lot of the times it's really associated with these negative, high stress, high pressure kind of descriptions of the environment. And so now, like I said, I am doing well. And when I started law school, I was doing well, much better compared to when I was an undergrad. I actually saw a major turnaround when I started working full-time. I think I needed that change in environment to kind of reset. And so my goal in law school is to prevent myself from falling into a bad space again um, and also maintain, basically, I would say my the good mental health that I have right now. That's actually really interesting. If you don't mind, I'd like to ask a question about that because I've heard a lot of people uh, say that their mental health actually improved quite a bit in the transition from an undergrad university experience to starting work. So I don't think you're alone at all uh, with that experience. Why do you think that's the case? Have you like, did you get a chance to kind of think about why that's the case? Because that's really interesting. Yes. And I think for me, number one, a lot of my issues were kind of brought on by academic anxiety and perfectionism. But also, what's nice with a nine-to-five job is that once you're done at the end of the day, you're done. You don't have to think about it. I didn't have kind of these ruminations about everything that went on during the day. Versus when you're a student, it's 24-7. Because to some extent, you can always tell yourself, oh, I could read this again. I could read more. I could do some research. I could study more. And so I feel like I was always turned on, on high alert when I was in undergrad. And that during my nine to five, I was finally able to take some time for myself and rest for real. Because my rest in undergrad wasn't real rest because I was nervous. And the whole time I was thinking about things that I could have been doing that I'm not doing. I think that makes a lot of sense because Um, When I was in New York uh, for the three years that I was doing graduate work, I found that to be the case. I would say that if you don't do this well, 
then your experience with that all-consuming nature of school that you might experience uh, in your undergrad can just proliferate, you know, tenfold uh, when you're in graduate school because you have to think about graduate school as a job and yet you can constantly be on call. All you're doing is just reading and writing, right? And and, and to some extent, you could always be doing more reading. You could always be doing more writing. Uh, The kind of ability to research is endless. Uh, And for me as well, being away from my family and friends, being away from Canada, doing, starting that kind of program during a pandemic, navigating what it was like being an international student, particularly in the U.S., uh, which is, which is quite difficult if you're not an American, right? Uh, Navigating all of those specific uh, differences in healthcare and education and immigration and things like that. uh, That was really, really, really difficult uh, and very hard to um, distinguish between the rest of life and work slash school. And so I I actually, for the first time uh, in my life, saw a therapist in New York and did that for about a year. And I think I got a lot of really great uh, mechanisms, you know, kind of coping mechanisms and and strategies that I try to bring into quite, I guess, like passively and actively in law school. Passively because I think a lot of the things I learned in therapy, uh, I just kind of try to implement as like mantras, I suppose, just day to day. Uh, And then sometimes actively because you know, with techniques like, um, with techniques like uh, taking proper breaks where I turn everything off and I just have some time alone, you know, things like that. I found that to be really, really great uh, being proactive in that kind of way in law school. Um, but Sarah, have you found that you've developed any strategies during law school? Any different strategies mm-hmm. during law school? I would say no, but I think I've been better able to apply some of the strategies that I had already learned. That's one thing that I always found very difficult. I think therapy is great for giving you these strategies. I always had a hard time implementing them and and maintaining them mainly. Maybe I was able to implement them very well for a couple of months and then I would stop. A lot of the times, unfortunately, I have that personality where when when I was doing good, I was like, I don't need these anymore but it's a work in progress you need to continue right you need to continue putting in the effort or else unfortunately that's when you're more likely to kind of fall back into those old patterns but what i've been doing during law school and i think that this is something that can be very helpful is that I created basically, and this is with the help of a therapist, so no, it's not a a random magical good idea that I got on my own, but a a maintenance plan for good mental health. So different things that I can do to stay where I'm at. And of course, this comes with a lot of introspection and getting to know myself, getting to know the things that I start doing when I'm not doing too well the things that I know help me and different things like that. So definitely a lot of introspective work. But so I created a list of things that I need to continue doing that I'm currently doing. So socializing and specifically identifying key friends that I know that I'll be able to go to if things are going hot, uh, are going bad or that I know will also 
potentially be able to recognize if something's going on and, and will be able to, to help me out in the sense of pushing me to, to go out with them and not to isolate myself. Um, exercise, of course. Um, Yoshi, my dog, has been a very great help because not only do I have a bit of exercise by taking him on daily walks, but he also helps ease my anxiety. So that's one of the things. Then I also noted different signs of relapse. So this is individual, but these are things that are going to happen to you when you're not doing as well. So for me, it's very easy. It's I'm going to sleep excessively, like a lot more than usual. So usually eight hours of sleep, I'll be fine. If I'm starting not to do very well, I might sleep 12, 14 hours a day. Granted, again, this is something to take into account with all of the other contexts in your life. If you're sick or something, sleep more, go ahead. It doesn't mean that necessarily something's going wrong. But if everything else seems to be going well, and I'm just going to start sleeping more for no apparent reason, that's usually a sign. I'm usually going to eat less as well. So those are things that if you identify them, hopefully it's going to help you see them in yourself um, a lot quicker. Because again, it's one thing to know them. It's one thing to actually recognize when they're happening, right? That, it, that can be a bit hard to put into practice. Uh, then, of course, I have a crisis plan, although I don't think that I'll need that. But resources available if really things take a, a turn for the worse. And I think that's important for everyone to have, even if they've never needed one. Just in case, again, it's, it's never a bad thing to be extra prepared. <laughs> um, and then for law school specifically, I'm trying to maintain a really rational view of law school because this is something that I had a hard time doing in undergrad. So to remember, everyone works and studies differently. People are not necessarily going to be truthful or forthcoming about what they're actually doing. Um, so one, I'm just trying to avoid these conversations altogether so that I don't make comparisons. So I don't want to know how many hours a week student X spends on property law and then start freaking out because they say they spend 20 hours a week and I do five. Let's say these are really arbitrary numbers. Like I'm just throwing numbers out there, but that's something that I tended to do consciously or unconsciously in high school, in undergrad, um, kind of to check myself to see if I was doing well, like, oh, am I performing or doing similar things to other people? And I've noticed that that's really not necessary because everyone is individual, unique, has their own way of studying and of learning and, and specifically in school, I feel like there's no objective comparisons that can be made other than, I guess, grades. But even then, there's so many factors that, that go into that. And then, of course, keeping a school life balance. So luckily, um, in our episode where we, we talk about kind of how our first month of law school has been doing, Meg and I have both noted that luckily <laughs> we've, we've been surprised about the fact that we're able to balance kind of school and our social life pretty well, but I want to maintain that. So I have set for myself a minimum of one whole day a week where I basically rest and just do things for myself that can be socializing, that can be, you know, it really depends on, on the day, but that's the minimum, a minimum of basically 24 hours where I don't do anything related to law school. Look at you. You are really treating yourself <laughs> one day out of seven. I'm joking, but I know it, you know, this is the, I think 
you know, honestly, listeners, if you want a fun, fresh, casual episode, do listen to our first month update because I do think we were feeling we were feeling really good about ourselves. I think this, you know, I think we can feel really good ourse- good about ourselves when talking about mental health as well. But very naturally, the content of this episode is a, is a little more um, serious. But I do think in that episode, Sarah, you said that, you know, coming into law school is making the intention, like the intent, uh, what is it? The intentional decision of surrounding yourself with overachievers, kind of recognizing that you are one of those overachievers as well, right? Uh, definitely not to, not to, not to um, berate anyone else. It's, it's, the rule applies to everyone. Uh, but I really like what you said about not, not uh, comparing yourself all the time. And that is, without a doubt, easier said than done. Because I think if you are someone who has always excelled well in school, I think school is the, you know, <laughs> there's people who excel really well in all things uh, in life, maybe even outside of school. And I don't think they have the same kind of neurotic uh, dependency for doing well and being told that you're doing well, right? Um, but I think that uh, if you always compare yourself, you will never be happy <laughs> without a doubt. And you do have to see yourself as being in a professional school, right? That means that you are spending these three years training to be a lawyer. And when you're done that, hopefully you will go into practice or you will be some kind of lawyer, right? Some Do work with law in some kind of way in your profession. And hopefully you get to do that for a really long period of time. So what that kind of means is that it's not like high school where it is four years and then you are no longer a high schooler. Uh, and that's great, right? Or even in your undergrad where you get to focus on a couple of subjects. And if you're not quite into that, you can always switch directions. I, I, make, <laughs> I make it sound like law school is the be all and end all and, and something that you're being backed into a corner. But I actually see it as quite liberating because what that means is you don't always have to say, oh my goodness, these three years, I, I got to make it or break it, Right. Instead, you have to go, actually, these three years are just the very beginning. And I'm only just starting to learn what this profession is, what this field is in these three years. And that's it. Um, And so if I don't get the amazing grades that I got in high school, that's okay. Because the law is a very, very, very complicated um, subject with people spending their whole lives writing books on just one subsection of that right so how can you within three years somehow become an expert that's impossible it doesn't make any sense Uh, so I think maintaining that kind of rational view and being very okay with just accepting that you are a novice and an amateur right you have to be (laughs) when you're when you're beginning and even finishing law school right um I think for me, that feels incredibly liberating. That feels like it's something that I can go, yes, I'm going to keep training. I'm going to keep learning well after this program. Um, and it means that if I, if I don't do too well on an assignment or I don't do as well as I want to on an exam, who cares, right? What's me, what's Meg, you know, 10 years down the line going to think about that? Hopefully nothing, right? Um, and I also really like what you said about having, um, you know, like a maintenance plan. Um, for me, I'm someone who really likes going to the gym. I really like, um, focusing on specific exercises and obviously you have to take breaks 
with physical exercise, right? But you also have to understand, oh, if I don't eat well or I don't sleep well or I don't do my stretching or I don't do the dynamic uh, preparatory work that comes with doing a certain kind of exercise, if I hurt myself because of the lack of prep preparation, that is going to take three or four or five times uh, the amount of time to recover than if I had just maintained that kind of good physical health. And I would say that mental health is, uh, actually, this is something that I got out of my therapist in New York. Mental health is the exact same thing, right? Um, in physiotherapy, you do these little stretches and you increase the strength of that, the potency of that again and again and again. And you try to do that very often throughout the week. And you continue to do that and you see these results over time. Mental health is something similar. Uh, that's the way I like to view it as well, right? Mental health is something similar to that. Um, and also what's, what's really interesting is I, I've been very fortunate in that for the most part, I would say my mental health is, was, has always been quite manageable. However, in the last three or four years, I've been dealing with a lot of chronic pain and joint pain and rep strain injuries. And so for me, something that quite physically uh, prevents me from dwelling too much on law school is simply understanding that if I stress too much about this, I'm going to be in a lot of physical pain. And for me, that is really terrible. So it means that if I can spend time with friends or if I can sit in a hot tub or sit in a sauna or I can get a massage or I can do my PT exercises or do some exercise, that is going to be as important as law school because that is going to help me condition my physical body um, and as a result, my mental health and allow me to properly learn. Um, so uh, not something I developed in law school, but something I, I, I think while being in law school has ever more illuminated the importance of maintenance. So I like what you said about that, Sarah. And I agree with you. Mental health really is like a muscle. It really it's is. It's something yeah. that you have to continuously work on. And you, for example, giving um, with, with unfortunately your chronic pain and everything, you do have kind of that external reminder. Um, for those of you that don't immediately, unfortunately, if you let it get bad, your body at some point will just stop working. That's something that happened to me. If you keep refusing to acknowledge that that things aren't going well and you just try to push through push through push through at some point it is going to manifest physically um and i would very much caution that that's not something that you want um i would say that was when i was at at my lowest definitely so please try to not let it get there and there's also minor signs like headaches and and whatnot of course that you're going to have on a day-to-day -day, but i'm talking more more extreme because um just relating to, to Meg's chronic pain, that's something that's a lot more kind of severe. And, and I think what's really interesting, too, is that not only do I think do you have to see law school as the beginning of a career, right? But I think everyone who is in law school is probably someone at least in their kind of early 20s or maybe even mid-20s and older, right? So something else for people to be paying attention to is that you might want to do tons of other things outside of just your profession. I think that's something I always try to think about and it's something I'm always trying to remain cognizant of, right? Whether that is having a really, really close group of lifelong friends or having a family or being around um, and spending lots of time with uh, your immediate and extended family 
or do traveling, doing a bunch of hobbies and creative projects like a podcast, um, running a marathon or volunteering or um, learning how to cook. Uh, all of these things are as important as law school. And uh, there's no point in ever getting into the mindset where you go, you know what, I just have to grit my teeth and only think about law school for these next three years. And then after that, I'll get to enjoy everything else. Because after law school, you're just going to go, oh, I have to do really well in articling or, oh, I have to do really well as like some kind of, you know, junior, uh, whatever, junior lawyer or something, et cetera. You know, that pattern follows. So that kind of um, tunnel vision when it comes to your profession, if you let it be, that is never going to end. That will always follow you. Right. So you might as well go, you know what? I'm in law school. It's really tough, but I have always still wanted to learn how to bake or learn how to cook or learn how to play an instrument. I think by adding rather than cutting uh, in your life, that also helps to um, take yourself out of the kind of tunnel vision or out of that kind of scarcity mentality that comes with law school. And for me, that's really helped with my mental health. Definitely. That's, that's really important. And I feel like we've been saying it almost from day one, make sure that law school is not your entire life and your entire identity. Yep. And make sure that you have something else that you can fall on because it's and the reason we make this so salient is because it's easy for that to happen. And it's something that we're going to all kind of tend to want to do. I think so. I think so. Um, now, besides strategies that we have brought into law school and also have cultivated and maintained during law school, at least with our experience, our uh, law school also uh, provides certain resources. So again, you know, this is just our experience and our very initial knowledge um, of the support that the University of Toronto provides. Um, but uh, the things that we talk about, you know, if you're in law school or you are thinking about applying to or attending law school, uh, once you get there, right, uh, maybe maybe try to look at some of your school's websites or attend a couple of those early introductory meetings because um, I'm sure that your school uh, will also provide uh, similar information, similar resources on how to uh, get help and also just um, meet people that help you maintain your mental health. Um, so for us, um, we know that our school provides, you know, uh, general peer mentorship groups uh, where you get to work as a 1L with, or rather not work, you get to meet as a 1L uh, with folks who are maybe finishing up law school. Um, so they get to share their experiences with you. And then I think there are also peer mentors specifically uh, for mental health, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, that's something that I actually signed up for. Yes. Um, we have a peer mental health support program. So what they do is they match you with an upper year student who has some type of lived experience of mental health. And um, their role basically is to help guide you throughout the year. So far, I've really been enjoying the program. Um, I feel like the mentor that I was given that way is someone that I click with a lot more than my regular, I guess, law school mentor. And it's nice to be able to talk to someone who has similar experiences. Of course, our experiences are not necessarily going to be entirely the same. And there's also no obligation whatsoever to talk about what specific experiences you've gone through. It doesn't, it also, there's no 
requirement in terms of severity. So you don't have to be someone who's been diagnosed with mental health issues to benefit from the program. So it's really anyone who's faced anything with regards to mental health and everybody, anxiety, stress, that counts. Like I know, unfortunately, there's still that that stigma that that's something that you can manage and no, it's not, you know, it doesn't go to the level of depression or of, you know, anything else, but that's not true. And it is something that's hard to deal with, hard to navigate, and especially in a high stress, high pressure situation like law school. So I think it's a program that's beneficial to everyone. Uh, but I know that unfortunately there's still a stigma and I think that prevents some people from wanting to participate. Even myself, to be quite honest, at the beginning, I was reluctant and, and a bit uh, worried because I didn't want people to necessarily find out. And not that it matters, now I've gotten, I've gotten over that but I still have that in the back of my mind from time to time. Um, but again, no one has to know that you're part of this program, actually. That's very true. And, and, and also, you know, if you have um, any kind of reservation about uh, joining a, a peer mental health um, support program or, or anything of that nature, another place you could look is also, I know our law school has a lot of... Um, law societies, um, smaller law societies, like little law groups uh, that uh, I guess are focused on specific demographics of students. And what I mean by that is, you know, there's the like Asian lawyer, uh, Asian law student um, society. There's um, also like faith-based um, law societies as well. So for instance, like there's a Jewish student society, I think, and like a Muslim um, student society. And I've heard that through those societies, you can also get access to peer mentorship programs as well. So um, if you find that you want to work on your mental health and kind of speak about your experiences through maybe a more specific kind of route, that is something that you can look into as well. Um, yeah, I think that that's great. And that can also help maybe break down some barriers because you have people that you can specifically relate to. Yes. And you're not going to be matched with just anybody, right? For me, it worked out perfectly. And they do make sure to match you with someone that they think is going to be compatible. But I do understand how, you know, if you're a part of a major group like that, that you might want to go within to seek for help. And I think that's a great idea. Uh, I mean, Sarah, it, it, what have your experiences been about navigating, I guess, um, how would I even call them? I suppose like avenues of help that are, related to but not directly out of the law school so what I mean by that is therapy or some kind of like counseling services um, have you found that the university itself offers those um, yes one thing that I love and I think is great is that I was a I'm able to receive regular counseling sessions that are free um, through the school it's very accessible it's for law students I think lawyers as well and probably articling students. Um, but what's nice is that even in the past when I was working, the main obstacle for me to getting therapy was the cost. It's just very expensive. And my work insurance at the time, I think covered like a very, very, very minimal amount. I think it was $400, something ridiculous like that, that would cover like only, like you know, a few sessions. sessions. <laughs> yeah. Exactly, because the price keeps going up, right? Yeah. 
And so that's one thing that I think is really great is that we have these services. And also, honestly, luckily enough for us at the University of Toronto, I would say that our student insurance is quite good as well. If I compare it to insurances that I've gone in the past working full time. So I think that that's a fair comparison in terms of full time work benefits and I guess the student insurance and they have really good coverage for mental health compared to a lot of what you're going to see in, in the workplace that they still don't really care about it as much or put a lot of emphasis on it. Again, I think it's it's going to take a little bit for it to change. And also, I mean, companies want to cut down on costs as much as they can. And definitely employee benefits is one of those ways. It's really, but, oh, sorry, continue, continue. Oh, no, no, no. I was just going to say, I'm just very happy at how accessible everything is because I haven't had therapy for years, honestly, because of the cost. And, and finally, I can do it and I don't have to worry and I can get it as often as I need or even as I want. What's really interesting is that my only experience with formal therapy and, you know, I, I call it that like working with, uh, you know, a PhD psychologist working with uh, on a week to week or, you know, a really regular schedule um, that has been through the U.S. system. And when I came back to Canada, when I came back to Toronto, I was like shocked at how expensive uh, you know, private therapists, like navigating it through uh, outside of outside of a you know school or something. Just how expensive that was, particularly if you have some kind of separate insurance or through some kind of work insurance. I was shocked. I was like, oh my goodness, how am I going to be able to do that? Because very realistically, if a session costs you know a hundred, two hundred dollars, three hundred dollars or something, I wish I were being hyperbolic. It becomes very, very inaccessible, and so. What I like is that our university uh, makes these sessions quite available. And if you don't go to the University of Toronto, I would highly recommend that you uh, look into, you know, if you're just starting law school, you're thinking about it, do take the time to look into what your options are. And also, uh, regardless of whether or not you go to law school, uh, take a good look at your insurance plan because um, try to figure out what is something that is achievable and realistic because more or less, uh, sometimes actually people don't know that they are uh, actually have uh, programs and you know plans that allow them to do that, particularly when you are at school. So I would recommend that people take the time to look into that because I think you can actually get some good help, uh, but you're just not made aware of it, unfortunately. I definitely agree. The, like you said, these are things that sometimes they don't really talk about, unfortunately. And if it, it's better to look it up before you need it, to, to be quite honest. Um, I always kind of encourage people to do that. I think so, too. I think so, too. Um, so, I mean, with that, let's let's end this episode. And again, you know, listeners, if you uh, have similar experiences or you um, are really thinking about how to take care of your mental health, obviously um, talk to the people around you. Obviously, if you're you know at school or you're at work, think about the realistic options around you. And if you feel like it, you can definitely share your experiences with us on our social media or you can just, I don't know, just take the time to think about this. Because again, unfortunately, this is a topic that I think affects everyone, um, whether or not you're in law school or not, mental health affects everyone. Um, and I think it's really important that we look 
out for ourselves and for um, the people around us. So thank you for listening to Beyond the Briefcase. Next week, it won't be just the two of us. You can actually expect an interview with Adam Feldman, who is a U.S. Supreme Court legal scholar and researcher who applies big data and statistical analysis to law. So that's going to be a very, very um, cool interview uh, that you can look forward to. If you enjoyed this episode, rate, review, subscribe, share with your friends. Uh, check out our Instagram at Beyond the Briefcase Podcast to keep in touch as well as up to date with all of our episodes. Thank you so much, Adam, our technical producer, and thank you, listeners. I've been Meg. I've been Sarah. Bye.